Amen. And so, uh, as I alluded to earlier, the subject that we're going to look at, because we have uh, at our dedication services, uh, we have the opportunity to think about family-related uh, um, subjects rather than uh, working through our consecutive Bible studies, which we've been doing through Acts for the last uh, year and a half or so. But uh, today, because of our dedication service, we're going to look at the subject of wives submitting to your husbands. Now, I think I, I have to, to think to myself, um, I feel I'm being brave in, in talking about this. Uh, at the same time, I believe that it is a subject that we need to talk about. At the same time also, I know there are already some people who here this morning who are feeling distinctly uneasy about this because what they're going to say to themselves is, there, see, I knew the Bible is wrong. Um, I know that it's out of date. It's irrelevant. And this subject is going to point that out. I do also appreciate and understand that there are differing views and opinions on some of the scriptures, but as I have looked at these, I have had to chide myself for the past because I have tended to take one verse uh, which talks about all of us submitting to each other and use that as a coverall to take away the emphasis of what it really means for wives to submit to their husbands. So I do stand chided on that one, and uh, I have looked at this uh, very carefully. This, as I mentioned earlier, has been the hardest message I think I've ever had to put together. It's one that my wife and I, we, don't, you know, we struggle with this. It's not, it's not easy. And uh, the way that the world functions and operates, it's not easy. So that's the subject that we're looking at this morning. The reality, I guess, is that many people in the world particularly women, just simply will not accept what the scripture has to say in this particular area. Um, I have in the preparation of my message, and I want to be honest about this, uh, I've looked at an outline of a message from a pastor, Pastor Alistair Begg. Now, Pastor Alistair Begg uh, was originally from Scotland. My father knew him before he moved over to the States where he is pastoring a big church of 5,000 plus people somewhere in the States. But uh, as I was uh, listening and preparing and um, looking at the outline of the message, I felt that it was a good thing for me to do that because truthfully I was thinking that you can't really blame me entirely for what we're talking about this morning. So you could call it a bit of a cop-out really in that sense. But having said that, I've appreciated the message that, uh, or the message outline that he had uh, prepared on this particular subject. It's not exactly the same. There are many things that are different, and the Lord has graciously helped me to understand these things. So the very first thing that I want to say to us all, husbands and wives here this morning, is this, is that the Bible assures us that both men and women, that both husbands and wives are spiritual equals. So that's the first statement I want to make, and I hold to that very, very clearly. In fact, we see that principle right the way through Scripture. We don't just have to cherry-pick some verses. That principle appears right the way through. We are equal in value. God doesn't love men more than he does women or women more than he does men. He loves us equally. That's important for us to understand. Also in terms of worth. We are loved by God. We are worthy to God equally. Equal in value, equal in worth, and equal in dignity. 
So it's very important that we understand these things. In fact, I'm going to make this statement. There is no doubt about any of that in terms of Scripture at all. We don't have to be concerned about it. The fact that uh, um, some people will say certain things and say, well, of course, your religion doesn't treat people the same. That is not true. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and God does. There is no doubt about it. But the question stands, and it's this question, if we are equal before God in the way that we've just described, then why does God command wives to submit to their husband's leadership? So if we're equal before God, if we're the same value, the same worth, the same dignity, and so on, why is it that God's word commands wives to submit to their husband's leadership? And I have to say to you, the Bible does command that. So if you've got a Bible, please uh, open with me to 1 Peter. And I know that if you've been going to the ladies' Bible study, uh, ladies, of course, then you would have, uh, I think, already been through this section of Scripture. But it could well be that, um, that you're also coming up to study it again. And I just want to read to you from chapter 3. So that's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Have your Bibles open because it's good to read this through together. Uh, why, why do you read your, bring your Bibles to church? Does anybody know? It's to make sure that I'm not misleading you, okay? It's to make sure that what's being spoken is actually in the Word of God. You'd be amazed when people say, oh, the Bible says, and they don't quote, they don't read from it. You know, you've got to be cautious there. Um, I just want to also point out that uh, the way that Scripture starts, so in this particular case, it uses the word likewise in the NKJV, uh, which means that you have to look at what's gone on before um, to do that, you need to be a woman and you need to go to the ladies' Bible study, but the guys uh, can read in their own time. So verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So we come to these verses in 1 Peter. just want to point out that these verses appear midway between a section that Peter has been talking on the subject of submission. So the part that we have here is, if you like, in the middle of it. Uh, I would suggest that the section on submission goes right the way through to verse 12 um, of the third chapter. Peter begins by establishing the fact that submission in the Christian life is a necessity. Uh, he explains it very clearly in a number of different areas. So we mustn't simply take this particular section of Scripture out of context with the whole section that is given to us. But he talks about the necessity of submission in relation to things like civil government. Now, again, that's something that we've been tested over recently. 
when the COVID restrictions came in, what do we do? Do we follow the government? Are we submissive to the government? Well, what we have to do is to follow what's right and what's right for us as believers. So we continue to meet as believers because we can't uh, shy away from that. But Peter explains. He goes on to say that we need to be submissive in the realm of everyday employment. And he talks about uh, slaves and masters, which we would account as being employers and and employees. And having provided, if you like, this foundation for the basis of all talking about submission, he then brings in the supreme example of submission. And of course, we should all know instantly what that supreme example is. Can we shout out? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter brings this in. I think it's uh, verse 21 of chapter 2, which is important to be able to see. For to this you were called... Because Christ also suffered for us, having us, sorry, uh, leaving us an example of how you should follow in his steps. Peter then turns, uh, as I say, and talks uh, uh, about the, the subject in a, in, a, in a general way. And then finally, he comes to the section here that we have read together in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And I've entitled our message this morning, Being a Wife, God's Way. Because the reality is, is that there are a number of options as to how we live in the world today. There are a number of options as to how women live in the world today. Men as well. And you'll be pleased to know that next week the message is addressing the men. But I have to wait to the end of the message before I tell you the title. Otherwise, a number of the chaps will get up and walk out now. Uh, also, uh, girls, you need to make sure your husband turns up next week because I'm sure he will be appreciative of the message. So this is not simply talking to women, but there is a series. And then the third Sunday, we're going to look at the subject which has really been triggered by um, the, the police officer that came and the subject of, uh, of the internet and the problems caused to our young people. So the third message two weeks from now is, what's God's hang-up with sexual sin? What, what, why is it such a big issue for him, okay? So we're going to talk about that in, in two weeks' time. I believe that there are two options that are presented to women today. The first option is the way that the world thinks and functions. And then there's the second option, which is, what does God say? What does his word say? So the first question that we simply ask is, does God have a particular way for a wife to live and to interact with her husband? So that's the first question. And as we have read the scriptures here, and we're going to read in a number of other places, it's an overwhelming yes. There is absolutely no doubt about it. Scripture is very clear that the way that a wife lives is to be different to the way that the world functions and requires and often makes such a big deal about. So we know that scripture is very clear. The second question that comes along with this question is this, as a wife... Do I want to be that kind of a wife? As a Christian, what do you want? 
Do you want to have the way that the world functions and lives and control your family in that way? Or do you want to do what God says and live your life and your family in the way that God leads us? So that really is the question that we have this morning. And of course, these questions are the same for us regardless of any area in our life. Do we want to live according to God's word or are we happy just to carry on and allow the world to be the influence for us? So as a wife, do I, what kind of a wife do I want to be? A submissive wife? A wife who submits to the authority of a husband? Or a wife who rejects the whole concept of submission? And for husbands here this morning, I have to ask you the question, do you want to lead your family in such a way that makes it possible for your wife to become all that God has intended her to be? Because that's what the scriptures are talking about very, very clearly here. You see, ultimately, guys, the responsibility comes down to us because if we don't enable our wife to have that submission towards us from the spiritual perspective, then she can't do it. So these are the areas that we want to briefly talk about this morning, and it is brief. I've kept this message very focused because we do have breaking of bread and, and we don't want to, uh, uh, to be too long this morning. So firstly, if you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I need to explain this to you. And it is fair to say that some people struggle to understand this, but if you've come to faith in Jesus, then that means you're different to all the other people in the world. Now, again, I say this with a sense of humor. Is there enough evidence to convict you of the fact that you're saved, that you're a believer, that you trust in Jesus? If it was declared, and this is perfectly possible, that it is illegal to practice the Christian faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you actually practice the Christian faith? So for us to be able to understand the subject that we're looking at, it's imperative that we understand that particular principle is that we are not like the world. We are different. That's what being uh, or leading a holy life is. The Bible actually explains it and says this. He says we're strangers and aliens in the world in which we are a part of. Because when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then... Our citizenship is taken out of the world and it's placed in heaven. It's placed in God's book. It's written on his hands. And the thing that happens to us is that we discover that our origin now changes. And so you see, we start off in this world and this world, if we don't come to faith and repent of our sin, we end up in hell because our origin is of the world. But when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we go to heaven because our origin is no longer in the world, because we've been born again. Do you see the imperative of understanding that? We have been born again. It is vital that we understand this because without understanding it, we cannot live as godly wives and husbands because the world does not live as the Bible intends us to live. The world is totally contrary to God's word. The world doesn't accept God's word in any way. And here's the thing, you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, but I meet people that try to do this. One foot in the world, I like to keep hold of those things. 
can't do it. There's no gray area. There's no middle ground. You see, what Peter is saying here is radical. And if you're completely absorbed by the culture of the world in which we live, and some of you here will be, particularly women at this particularly, particular point, then you will be totally unable to grasp what I'm saying. You will also be totally unable to grasp what God's Word says because you will be hostile to the Word of God. I think it was Chris Crocker when he came and he said, do you want a holy God to be against you? That's what we're talking about here. And the answer is no, you don't want a holy God to be against you. You see, in the light of the verse that we have, the wife, especially who is prepared to actually believe and live the gospel in the light of the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. The wife who lives this out, the woman who lives this out, the woman who seeks to live out these verses will be confronted by enormous opposition. And you'll be told you're wrong. And the opposition will come from the world because other women will say to you, what? Submission? But the sad thing is you'll come into the church and other women will say, what? Submission? Even from peers within church, let alone the outside world, the world today considers itself as enlightened. You have a smile to yourself when you hear that statement. It considers itself to be contemporary. You know, we've got past all these other things. It's progressive. Everything's getting better. Does anyone want to put their hand up and agree with that? Everything's getting better. We're 21st century women, I heard someone recently say. And that was from within the church. What's a 21st century woman? I was going to say look like, but perhaps I hadn't better say that. And the world today does not accept the biblical understanding of wives submitting to their husbands in any form. Women, today, would not accept this teaching, even though it is a serious part of God's word. And I want to show that to you. Quite frankly... If a woman was to go into, I think it's called Fresh Mart now. It used to be called Foodland last week, but it's changed. So if a woman went into Fresh Mart dressed up as a Viking carrying a battle axe, I reckon less people would question her and less people would show hostility towards her or even concern for her mental health than if she was to talk to some neighborhood group and say, I believe that we should be submissive to our husbands. Now, you might think that's a bit of a funny analogy. If any of you want to try it, let me know how things go. It might prove the point. 
You see, some women will say to you, you're crazy. You've taken leave of your senses. What are you paying attention to an ancient book with words written by a Galilean fisherman? What does he know about it? And these words are locked in history that's way past. What's he know about it? But this is God's word. And we can't change it. Verse 1 of chapter 3 is linked to the preceding teaching on submission. We know this because Peter employs the phrase, wives likewise. So we can say and ask the question, in the same way what? In the same way as all of us have gone before, in the same way as Christ displayed a submissive spirit, in the same way as we in relationship to civil government are responsible to bowing beneath the truth, in the same way wives within the home are to display this submissive spirit. Now when you come to something like this and you're reading through the Bible and verses like this hit you squarely in the face, and uh, maybe you're one of the people who have the concept that there are some verses in the Bible that are meant for other people, but not you. There are some verses in the Bible that shouldn't be in the Bible, and somehow they must have slipped in by some error of translation or something, and they're only mentioned once or twice, therefore we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to be too concerned about it. It might be that you're a visitor here in this church this morning and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I've heard they're crazy and this obviously confirms my suspicion and what I've read on Facebook. Well, you know, that's fine. That's your view and opinion in that sense. Perhaps you're not particularly dedicated to church. Perhaps you haven't come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and everything we're talking about is meaningless. Because you don't know Jesus, how can you know his word? Because God means nothing to you, how can you really understand what it is that he has to say? Because you have no relationship with him, this means nothing. Perhaps you're a young woman here, you're not married, and you're thinking to yourself, after this message, I'm not sure I want to be married. Listen to the end. You see, when we read the whole of Scripture, the problem with 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, is that we find the words time and time again. For example, Ephesians 5, often quoted during wedding ceremonies. In verse 22, Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This is Paul, not Peter. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now here in these verses, we see that as the church submits to Christ, which it must do, the church that doesn't submit to Christ is not Christ's church by definition. But you see, when we do submit to Christ, then we are able to become all that Christ intends for us to be. But if we don't submit, we can't. Do you understand that? 
Because our unwillingness to submit means that we cannot accept certain parts of God's will in our lives. So also, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Why? For the very same reason. In order that they might be all that God intends for them as wives to be. Now this is where the beauty of Scripture begins to show itself. How something that we react badly to all of a sudden, the Scripture explains. Now, let's keep going because it's important. Now, if the Scriptures are so clear concerning this, why is it that there exists such uncertainty in the minds of men and women in the Church of Jesus Christ today, irrespective of what society has to say around us? And this morning, I'm going to suggest there are two reasons. The reason that we have difficulty in declaring and in displaying this principle of submission is first because of the conviction which marks a pagan perspective. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, how could you use a word like that in church? It's chosen guardedly and correctly. Because the world outside the Christian church is pagan in its perspective. It is. Now, it's not me that thinks that. It's not me that says that. But it's God's word. Now, all too often we allow this pagan perspective to enter into our thinking. I bring just one quotation from you, and, and the truth is I agree with this quotation. It's from a lady called Felice Schwartz, and she's the president of a feminist organization in the U.S. called Catalyst. And she wrote this, and as I said, I agree completely with her. It says, when the children of today's generation of career women are themselves emerging from their teens, the polarization of sexes that put women in the home at the nurturing end of the spectrum and men in the office at the work end of the spectrum will have completely and utterly disappeared. And with it, the stereotypes of supportive women and aggressive men. Now, I don't disagree with that because the church is at a pivotal point at the moment in the way that society is, is, is working. And this next generation of young women, young men, as they come through into adulthood, will be the one that we see the greatest and most fundamental change that has taken place because now we live in an unchurched society. Don't kid yourself about this. The vast majority of people outside of the church and a massive number of people in the church have now lost the perspective and the connection with God. And what we must say in response to that is that she's absolutely correct. But the church is, is not part of society. At least those who are believers in the church are not. You see, as Christians, as believers, we have a different agenda. But still, there is uncertainty within the church today. 
And that uncertainty is being promoted as we read in Christian magazines and as we read Christian books by an attempt to water the scripture down and to bring into play the concept of mutual submission. And that's the point that we're going to close on by just explaining this. And the mutual uh, submission that we're talking about is that the authority of a husband or the responsibility of submission are actually enemies to one another. Because I do believe that there is mutual submission. But I also believe there is the authority to submit to the husband. And the way that the church is going is that the two are being brought in as being enemies to one another. Now what the Bible says is that the mutuality which exists between a husband and a wife and the inevitable responsibility which falls to each are not, in the purpose of God, enemies but friends. Now we need to think carefully about that and let me try and guide us through it by taking us back to Ephesians 5 and we're going to read the verse before verse 22. And verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says there seems to be a mutual dimension of submission which exists in the relationship of God's people to one another. And not least of all, which exists within the family unit. That's what Paul appears to be saying. And the relationship between a mum and a dad, between a husband and a wife, that mutuality of response is not something which is aired simply here in Ephesians 5, but it comes out clearly in other places in the Bible as well. And one of them most graphically perhaps expressed, uh, expressing this uh, mutuality is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is the way that people today try to overcome wives submitting to your husbands. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul is pointing out that husbands and wives, in terms of their responsibilities to one another within the marriage bond, as it relates to the physical dimension of their expression of love for one another, are called to mutuality. They are called to mutually submit. And so verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 7, and it's a verse which uh, could get a little bit embarrassed about perhaps. And if you're young here and you don't know what this is talking about, talk to your mum and dad afterwards, not me. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and, the, and likewise the wife to her husband. And then we get this statement. The wife's body does not belong to her alone. Whoa. Now, could you imagine you're a feminist? Could you think of a brighter red flag to somebody than to, to make a statement like that. You imagine a bull in a china shop for a couple of minutes. That's what the result would be. In our Western cultures, these verses are totally, totally unacceptable. The Bible is described as hate speech. And I was only talking to a friend of mine this morning at 6.30, was it? Something like that. <laughs> And we made the point that already the Bible is being changed. Because it can't be allowed to continue as it does. I'm saying to you, the day that we will find that it is banned is closer 
than many of us think and understand. The very concept of this is just not allowed in any way. Could you imagine teaching girls at school? Your body will belong to your husband. The husband has no responsibility, our society says. No control, whatever, over anything. No say in what happens to the child that the woman carries in her womb. And the word of God says that the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but it belongs to her husband. But husbands, what does the scriptures go on and say? Verse 4, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So you begin to see this mutuality that is taking place. So now we're beginning to look at what is uh, being spoken of here. Now, we're not going to talk any more on this particular subject, interesting though it is. We'll leave that for another day. But please notice the scriptures and remember that God never ever wastes words. So don't use intimacy as a weapon to control your relationships. So in the bond of marriage, mutuality about the physical relationship is absolutely crystal clear. But this mutuality does not negate the place of submission which is to be taken by a husband to Christ as he submits himself to the task of leadership and which is to be taken by the wife to her husband as she submits to God's design for her uniquely created with wonderful potential for good as she lives it out for God. Now we're going to look at the last section of scripture which is Galatians 3 <clears throat> in regards uh, to this. And then we're just going to finally turn back to 1 Peter in just a moment or two, and then we bring our message to a close. But in Galatians 3 and verse 28, there is a verse that is causing the church massive problems today. People outside of the church have locked into this particular verse, and they use it to hammer us on every front. Maybe you've not understood this. Maybe it's not sunk in. The reality of it hasn't sunk in. Or if you're like me, you're thinking to yourself, but I just don't see it. Because Galatians 3 verse 28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now this is the verse that is used by the LGBTQ community to allow Christians to say that there is any number of genders, that it doesn't matter about gender because it says, the Bible apparently says, that there is neither male nor female. The verse is also used to say that there is no place for biblical teaching concerning the responsibilities of headship and authority. And we know that that's not the case. And that submission within the home is also obliterated by this particular verse. One verse. And the reason for this is because the verse says we are all equal. Just let your children do what they want. 
But what exactly is Galatians 3.28 saying? It's saying this, before God there is only oneness. Before God, a woman is not inferior to a man in terms of spiritual citizenship. A woman has direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ in exactly the same way that a husband does. However, what the verse is not teaching is that it overturns, for example, 1 Peter 3 verse 1 and suggests that since we are all one in Christ Jesus and since our maleness and our femaleness does not come into play in the spiritual realm, as some argue, the notions of gender and the notions of polarity of the sexes is also completely obliterated. In fact, if you think about it for a moment, this has got to be one of the silliest arguments you can come at. Why do you think that God created the male and female? I mean, creating the man was pretty straightforward, but when it came to creating the female brain, imagine the complexity that was involved in that particular point. Men's brain, simple. But imagine, he's made us different in every respect. And if he's done that and he's gone to the effort of, 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 of doing that, why then would sort of like, you know, a bit down the road say, oh, it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. The very essence of Scripture matters here. You see, we need to learn what our Bibles actually say. And the context here in Galatians 3 is that Paul is proclaiming our oneness in Jesus Christ. We are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of God. He uses the word sons genetically, as does the rest of Scripture. And then he goes on to explain the implications of this. Mutuality within marriage, says the Bible, does not negate the place of submission. Now let me illustrate that, and this is the last, the final point, uh, by looking at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. Now, it's nothing to do with hats, so if there's anybody who's worried about a message on hats, relax. But we read this, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And then we get this stunning section to the verse. And the head of Christ is God. Great verse. We've read it loads of times. But what doesn't something strike you as being odd in that verse? Did you notice the last phrase? The head of Christ is God. But that doesn't match up with my understanding of the Trinity. It doesn't match up with what I've been taught. For those of us who know our Bibles, and we should all know our Bibles more, what does the Bible say about the Trinity? What do we know about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? We know that they are co-eternal and that they are co-equal. That they are equal in power and in eternity and in every other way there is no distinction between the members of the Trinity. So why does the verse say it? In other words, there is an all-consuming mutuality here within the Trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Paul says the head of Christ is God. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So absolute mutuality. 
So how can it possibly be that God is the head of Christ? And understanding this will help us to understand 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 6. You see, the answer is that it cannot be in essence. It can't be in nature. Therefore, it has to be in function. So Christ, who is co-equal with the Father in all respects, submits from all of eternity to do the Father's will. Not because he's inferior to the Father, but because it is vital and necessary for the purpose of God to be worked out for all eternity. Jesus delights to do the Father's will. His mutuality is without question, and his submission to his Father is absolutely plain. And the point of all of this is simply that that is exactly the picture. That is the same kind of structure which is written into the fabric of marriage. The husband and wife are equal before God. But in order for the family to function in harmony, the husband and wife have different roles and different responsibilities. The woman with no loss of dignity takes the place of submission to the leadership, to the headship of her husband, in the same way as Christ with no loss of dignity took the place of submission to the headship of his heavenly father in exactly the same way. Now, when we understand that, we can cut out all the silly stuff. God's purpose is God's perfect design for a family. As such, he has made a woman's heart to be tender and gentle. And we discover that this dovetails with the husband's strength in Christ and biblical leadership. And that leads us to the message for next week. Because there's a problem, isn't there? What does the woman who wishes to submit to her husband do with the wimpy Christian husband that she's married? What does she do with the wimpy guy that's incapable of making any sensible decisions at all? That doesn't read his Bible? Barely turns up at church? is more interested in playing Call of Duty, scrolling through his almost pornographic so-called social media sites, who has no interest in leading his wife spiritually. How do you handle it? Because this is where the verses break down, isn't it? The guy I've married is pathetic. He's not a Christian father. I've met jellyfish with more spiritual backbone in them than him. They're useless when it comes to setting an example to their sons and to their daughters even. So how does a wife 
who wants to live as the Bible says and teaches, who wants to live out 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 6, how does she do it? How does she live in a home with a husband who has never submitted himself to the responsibility of living as God intends him to live? Well, you've got to come back next week to find out. So bring him along. Make sure there's no opt-out clauses. Arrive early to get a good seat. And make sure he understands what's happening. I hope that's been a blessing for us. It's a lot more to talk about. But don't turn away from God's word. There's a reason, because that's God's plan 